We are live with a good connection. Welcome everyone to the Cardboard Heralds Off the Table. I'm your host, Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, John. How are you doing today, John? Fantastic. I managed to get a game that I don't often get to the table uh, played with no fewer than three people, which is also in itself a mild miracle. And what game is that? Comet 2.0. Nice, nice. Yeah, Comet is an excellent game, one that we got played over this weekend uh, as well, and I was glad to see that, and it's nice to see some of the older games getting reworked into like newer games and consolidated, and kind of brings attention to like some of these elder statesmen. It's weird to say that a game that really isn't that old as like an elder statesman, but in the pace in which the hotness moves, Comet might as well be old as dirt, but... Uh, yeah, I, I got some games played recently. I, I'm interested to see some things on the horizon. I think I messaged you about this, but uh, Agricola, speaking of old, old games, yeah. Agricola the new was old on. Hotness. Yeah, that was on sale uh, on Amazon. I was like, you know what? I haven't played Agricola in ages. I'm going to pick that up. And part of that is related to our topic today, because here at Off the Table, we discuss things. And one of them uh, that we talked about discussing, the, the focus of today, was BGG's ranking system, the top 100 specifically, but just ranking in general. And when I started paying attention to BGG and just like learning more about the wide expanse of world of board games more than just like what happens to be at the hobby shop or anything in my local store. Agricola was the shit. That was like the game that was at the top of BGG rankings. It was the number one game and that was a big deal. And I had no idea. It was so opaque how any of that was determined when you would go into BGG's browse games and then see whatever listings were there and all of the games were ranked by some sort of metric. And even though Agricola isn't the number one game anymore, it has been ousted and we'll get into some of the history and everything in today's podcast. Um, I don't know that it has become any more... Uh, understandable to the general board gaming audience or particularly helpful. People talk about it as an important thing. And certainly if you are a board game creator, if you become like the, the creator of a new number one board game of all time, that's an achievement. That's a milestone. But what does that mean for the gaming audience? I mean, do you pay attention to any of these stats or anything? I, I would assume it's about as meaningful as saying it's a uh, New York Times bestselling author, <laughs> which everybody is. Right, Literally right, right. everybody is a New York Times bestselling author somehow, it seems like. Um, that's hyper uh, hyperbolic to say that, but not by much. Like, what what does that metric actually mean? So I, I, I'm here to basically be your comedic foil, to sit here and, and tell you why statistics don't matter, everything you know is a lie, and... BGG rankings don't mean that much other than they do have an impact on the audience. And in that they have that impact, that is where they matter as an actual source of information. Not that useful. Right. Right. I think the best way to start with this is just to talk about like some comparisons, you know, like if we went back to movies or went to video games or anything, this is like a Metacritic store score or it's a Rotten Tomatoes score, except this is entirely user driven. There are some weird algorithmic things that go into it that play behind the scenes. So it's not purely just how people have ranked them, but for the most part, if you are a registered user, you can impact the 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 existence of the ranking system within BGG. Interjection. And, yeah. I just want to say because you don't take breaths and neither do I. So before I forget what I'm saying, I'm doing the like the I have something to say, eyebrow thing. Now um <laughs> I, I just want to interject real quick and say that is an interesting point that you bring up that a rotten tomato style rating system actually divides itself into two metrics: the casual, the the audience and the critic. That's something that also is not present in BGG rankings and that there is no distinguishing between who is rating and what their experience level is. Continue. 
Right, right. Exactly. So I'm going to do something unprecedented on the show in its current form since we've been live streaming as is. And I'm going to attempt to share screen and hopefully not uh, make this all completely fall apart. If uh, our friends over at Midnight Board Gaming want to let us know if uh, the live stream just goes into utter chaos, into a black hole of despair and confusion, that would be great. Uh, and if you're listening to chaos. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this as a podcast, well, you know, join the live streams or watch the video versions and you'll get the visual aids. But I'll try to resist entirely making it referential to these visual aids here. But a good place to start is just going over to Board Game Geek. And if you pick on any game, let's say Dune Imperium, this is a game that both you and I have played. And if you look at it, it has a score at the top. Currently, Dune Imperium is 8.4, and this is the average rating that users have rated. It says that 7.5 thousand people have rated this game, and then we can actually look at all of the different ratings that people have done, as well as additional comments that people have left if they commented upon rating the game. And then we can also see on the game's listing that there is an overall score here. So Dune Imperium, again, game that just came out in 2020 is currently the 40th greatest game of all time according to BGG's ranking system. And I think that immediately brings to mind some flaws here. I like Dune Imperium. I actually really like Dune Imperium. But if we rely upon this as the end-all be-all metric for what are the best games, then I think we're doing a great disservice to some older games. And it kind of shows that this system is inherently imperfect. That a game that has only been out for a year now is automatically ranked the 40th greatest game of all time. Can that be true? How can that be true? And uh, through doing some research, I think I've unveiled some of the, the mystery here to, well, to the degree that we can. I think we also need to just address that this top one here, nice actions. TI, have you lost your mind? Have you lost <laughs> your mind, sir? This automatically shows the flaw with BGG ratings. In what world is this like TI4 in any way besides space? Um, well, it's like TI4 in the sense that it is of a Dune setting, and Dune, the original 1979 Avalon Hill game, was remade with the Twilight Imperium theme in oh, yeah. Rex, uh, at the dawn of an empire, fall of an empire, Rex something, end of an empire. The Rex the, Empire thing, yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I remember that. Exactly. So it's like that in the sense that it, I don't know, tangentially has a related theme. Well, and allow Kevin it. Bacon will somehow be related at some point, six steps from now. Exactly. Well, Kevin Bacon is a space lion. So in that way, it's like TI4. Absolutely. So uh, going back to the beginning of this mess, like what is this ranking? We just took a look at, at Dune Imperium here. So BGG was founded in 2000. And yes, we're looking at my PowerPoint presentation here, my notes, my Google Doc. Can um, you even give me a slide? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I could have put this together more, but hey, we're on the fly here. This is live streaming on YouTube. We can get over this. All right, so BGG was founded in 2000. And as early as 2001, there was some sort of ranking system. And even as early as 2001, there were already people who are going, what the hell is this ranking system? And continually, you can find footprints on BGG that still exist that show that there have been revisions to how games have been ranked. Now, the rating system itself, us, the users, how we interact with it, that's an important piece to understand because that relates to the rankings. So I found it interesting the first time I went to rate a game, which I don't rate many games on BGG, but I think a lot of people go ahead and rate games without really thinking about what the, the metric that BGG wants to capture is because it's not so much a ranking of like what you think is the the artistic merit or the creative quality of a game it's a desire to play 
a 10 is outstanding. You always want to play it and expect that it will never change. A one defies description of a game. You won't catch me dead playing this. Clearly it's broken. And everything in between is gradient shades of the, the desire to play this game. So if you rate something a 10, if you are holding true to the definitions that BGG has set up, you're not saying that this is the Citizen Kane of board gaming. This is you saying, I want to play this game more than any other game. And if you're... Which you've already failed. Okay, so this is me poking hole number one. Right, 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 right. Hole number one to poke here. God. <clears throat> poke some Freezing. holes. So... Uh... <laughs> poke some holes in me, John. <laughs> So, so the problem number one is you have not enough transparency involved in uh, how people are even being asked to rate a thing. So, how can you how can you uh, have an accurate result when I could be rating based on the Citizen Kane aspect of it? Was it a masterpiece of a game? Whether or not I'll ever play it again, I may not want to play that heavy of a game again, but I may recognize the the inherent superiority or or impressiveness of such a game. On the other hand, you may be actually following what BGT thinks you should be doing and rating it based on how much you want to play. Second problem, that changes over time. How does the rating evolve? Right. With it. What do you yeah. got for that? Because the game that I rated a 10 last year in two years may not be a 10 in terms of the hotness rating is how much I want to play it. And if that holds true and I don't go back and change it, you know, is that any more of an accurate rating at this point? Right. And that's actually one of my questions that I have about the methodology of the system itself, because BGG is a private company. They don't have to disclose all of the little woodworking that goes behind the scenes into making all this function. To a degree, they have revealed what some of these rankings are, and, and or rather like how they do these rankings, but they haven't fully given the the algorithm that makes up the existing rankings and how much it takes into consideration everything that's out there. So what we do know, what we uh, can discern from the existing system is that they have disclosed that uh, in order to be eligible for a ranking, at least as of the, the, the last time uh, that they've updated this or that I could find that they updated this, you need to have at least 30 ratings on a game. And games come in at a 5.5 initially because they seed a game with 100 votes uh, of a 5.5 that are dummy votes. These are not users rating a game. They are just a, a, a system in place in order to weight things towards the center. So that way, if someone has 30 votes of a 10, that doesn't automatically make them the greatest game of all time. That brings up the ranking. And then some other factors go into it, but which is the stuff that they haven't disclosed, but that's kind of the, the general gist of what they do. Now, I wonder about entropy when it comes to this. Like, does is there a system over time where a game will gradually decrease its rating if people aren't consistently rating it higher? You know, the the games like, for instance, Agricola or Tigris and Euphrates or something like that, they're not well, the new hotness anymore. And maybe thousands of people rated them 10 out of 10 at one point. But is there an internal system that will gradually reduce those games? Or is it reliant upon people coming in and saying, you know what, Tigris and Euphrates is uh, not as good of a game as it used to be? Like you said, either modifying their existing reviews or new people coming in and saying, eh, it's not so good. Okay. There's your, there's your next question is, okay, entropy, that's, that's a good way to put it, I think. Um, if more people are rating it more recently, uh, mm -hmm. then you would expect it to stay higher. And if people haven't rated it in a while, do their opinions change? I don't know how you would measure that anyway, because unless you're getting the same people to come back, you're not, you're not measuring that aspect of it. You know? right. And staying power is, is a big metric of a game. 
in a lot of ways. So again, <laughs> I think it called it does it does call it a question. Like, okay, you know, I can't use this as the like, you know, the the Citizen Kane aspect of a game. I, I'm gonna rate it as how much people want to play it today. So maybe the fact that it doesn't have rescreen just means that there are better games now, or maybe it just doesn't have the exposure. What, what does that statistic really tell us? Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, is Agricola it, getting a lot of advertisements the way the latest Kickstarter is? You know. I mean, yeah, well, what I think about it is like, you know, we are continually growing as a hobby. There are far more people playing tabletop games now than there were when uh, Puerto Rico or Tigris and Euphrates were the kings on the market, right? So there's going to be a higher critical mass of people voting now. And so, of course, those older games aren't necessarily going to be competing with those newer ratings for the hot games that people are coming in as like the gateways or the things that they became really passionate about as they come into the hobby now. But at the same time, uh, let's say that we had a stagnant population of board gamers and there was a game. We'll take Gloomhaven, for example, because Gloomhaven is the current number one. Uh, that's the big dog out there. And if we said that Gloomhaven uh, got a gajillion reviews, in fact, I can go ahead and go over to Gloomhaven. Okay, exactly. How many gajillion? Yeah, Gloomhaven has had... As I bring it up, um, 45,000 ratings uh, of Gloomhaven. What if no other game gets 45,000 ratings? Does that mean that Gloomhaven will persistently be the greatest game of all time according to this ranking system? And that's where my question of entropy comes into play. Sure, there could be a, a better you know, stat reviews, 40,000 people rating a game 10 as opposed to 45,000 people rating it a nine may end up with a, a better system in play. But for the most part, if you don't have a growing audience, I don't think that this Gloomhaven will get toppled, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that also begs the question, too, like, how do you wait? um God, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be making too many flaws here. But um, a couple of things come to mind. How do you weight the fact that BGG itself wasn't that great in two thousand one? Kind of hard to use, and it's gotten right, better right. over time. So even just the accessibility of the website may increase the number of people rating and reviewing the games that are on the website. You may have missed a bunch of Agricola players who the ships already sailed. They're not inclined to go out there and do that for whatever reason. It's not in their mind. So you know. another one of the things that they do in order to stabilize games and another one of the opaque things that they don't specifically elaborate on is that even though they say that a, a game would, as soon as it's available to be ranked, is seeded with these 100 votes of 5.5, apparently more dummy votes of 5.5 are added as more rankings are given to a game. At what rate they're added or, you know, like how frequently they're added, I don't know. And that would be really interesting to talk to someone at BoardGameGeek about if they were willing to reveal it. But there are so many people asking for this information that I don't know that it's going to be revealed at this point. And if someone listening to this or, or watching this uh, has additional information that goes beyond the research that I've done so far, I would love to see it. I, this is a complete rabbit hole that you can fall down. But I, I think the the problem with it is is that this is the most ubiquitous system that we have out there you know bgg is the the place where all things ebb and flow board gaming there are other sites there's reddits our board games there's shut up and sit downs forums there's our discord channel where there's plenty of discord going on at the cardboard herald about all sorts of things but I don't think that there are many other hobbies where the the center of the the hobby itself is so closely tied to one individual site in the way that Board Game Geek is the center of all things board games. So this rating system is super important and has a huge impact on 
the the marketing of games, the visibility of games, and yet we still don't know everything that there is to to know about how it all shakes out, which I find super fascinating. Well, and the other thing to to look at here is um, why you know I, I'm kind of curious when we are okay. Let me let me step back and finish my sentence from the start here. <laughs> It makes you wonder because we are a younger hobby as compared to, um, or at least the the current peak we're experiencing is a younger peak in in the United States, especially maybe not as much in Europe, and maybe there's there's some of this over there. Um, where is the industry side stats like the bestseller stats? Right. Where I wonder when we're going to get something like that because that may actually be more indicative than just readings. Is sales, you know, how many copies? Agricola is in every board game store I go to usually. I mean, the ones at least locally all have a copy of Agricola. If I tomorrow wanted to have a copy in my hands and didn't want to get in on the Amazon sale, uh, I could find at least two copies in, in our town with only two board game stores. So um, that should say something about it. I will point out, too, as we're talking about Agricola, that I, I did look and there's at least something like 2,500 reviews in the last year. So that Maybe there's maybe there's a fresher audience for that one in particular than uh, than one might think. But I think knowing how many copies are moving, and when we hear about some of these designers or some of these these companies where they phase games out, like Z-Man just phased out their their um, or put on pause, I guess I don't know how much of a phase out it was. Their their Euro Classics, right? How right, much right. of those weren't selling right now, and maybe maybe they would be off of that list in particular. But I would wonder how many of them are on the hotness list because they had high ratings because they are classics. Well, An interesting comparison. Another flaw in the system, you know, a fly in the ointment, so to speak, uh, fly in the Vaseline if you're a Stone Temple Pilots fan, is that this is a a inherent problem with so many things on the internet right now is that the people who are very passionate about something are the ones who are going to be vocal. They aren't necessarily the representative of the majority. So I think that games that are for the most part going to be uh, more divisive are going to be the ones that attract people having these strong opinions. The people who are going to rate tens and ones are likely to be the people who initially decide that they're going to start ranking games in the first place. I mean, I, I've been playing tabletop games like this, the hobby style games for at least 10 years now, and I've only ranked a couple games because there there's an unwillingness to commit to too many games that this is a 10, this is a great thing, or this is a one, this is a terrible thing. Maybe I'm an outlier because I have an avenue to give my opinion through this channel, but I, I think there's an inherent flaw to any sort of discourse like this where people who are extremely passionate about one side or another are the ones who are going to vocalize that passion, whereas people who think that a game is okay then they they are much less likely in order to put in the time and effort to inject that opinion. Well, and that, that was going to be another one of those flaws that I pointed out is that you, I think, not to, not, not to stray into a very ugly section of conversation, but if we're looking at politics, even in the last four to eight years in America, for example, um, we've seen some pretty shocking things with statistics. Um, and I think it's, it, regardless of where you fall on, on politics, I think it's an interesting thing to look at that a lot of what the polls, the big widely respected polls have been saying about trends in people's opinions haven't always been reflective of the actual results. And a lot of very high paid people who are much smarter at this stuff than I am have been sitting around going, why is that? And right, right. I, I think the same concepts apply here is, you know, who is our audience that's actually rating the games? Are the people playing them the same ones rating them? Or do we have 10,000 people buying Agricola and only 20 of them rating it every month? Um, what is the experience level of these people? Again, we don't have that metric between, you know, like a reviewer, for example, who may have played hundreds of thousands of games, or, you know, Tim, the guy who just started and his friend showed him Agricola and he's super into it. And this is only the fifth new board game he's played in the last two years. What's he got to compare it to, you know? 
there's no, I don't know that they have, I mean, how do you wait something like that? Again, somebody who has much more time on their hands is better paid than I am and that sort of thing should do it. But it does, it does poke some interesting questions into like, would you weight the rating of someone who has rated more games higher than the rating of someone who this is the first time they've rated something, for example. And that gets into like the critic metric versus the um, user metric. And then even on Rotten Tomatoes, they have like top critics, you know, those are the people who have to a degree been vetted. And so you could filter in these different things. But I guess for all the flaws that are out there, it's like, um, you know, I I don't know that maybe this is one of those things that's misattributed to Ben Franklin or, you know, maybe I'm misremembering or something, but he had to say about democracy, you know, it's the worst form of government except for everything else. Maybe that's someone else. Uh, I've heard it. It sounds scholarly. It sounds important. Um, and that uh, reminds me of this, you know, like, I don't know what a better system necessarily is. I I know that there's been endeavors in order to improve this system, but as far as like making something that uh, everything is allowed to be rated on the same metric, flaws and all, it still does come out with some pretty consistent analysis of what some of the great games out there are. You know what I mean? Like the top 100, maybe it's not what you and I would rank as the top 100 games, but there is definitely, you know, like reason for the games that tend to filter to the top. You know, it's not necessarily a popularity contest, though that's a big part of it. It's not necessarily the artistic uh, pinnacle of uh, gaming, though that definitely factors into it. Uh, And it's not necessarily how a game has been marketed, though that also factors into it. You see all the time uh, there's, uh, you know, encouragement by publishers in order to rank games and even incentivizing, you know, I've seen like Kickstarter starter social rewards you know we're going to unlock the next uh unlock as part of this kickstarter if we get to x on you know putting the information out on twitter or on facebook and then rate something on bgg you know if you do a good job at marketing your game you're going to get more exposure more people coming in and more people ranking it sometimes even before playing it which sucks right um Though I do know that BGG does make an effort to do a degree of moderation and removing fraudulent votes. Like if all of a sudden they see one IP address has voted a hundred times or something, they do have a way of removing all of those uh, in in favor of uh, what appears to be more legitimate votes. But um, it is a flawed system. But for all of that, we still have a pretty great list of games. And and that's something that I I wanted to acknowledge uh, as part of this discussion is that, you know, when I look at the historic number one games, we have some bangers there. You know, they may not be the games that you or I would rank, but that's a damn good list. And I wanted to go through the history of that. I I did want to give you a chance to uh, poke any more holes in me here, John, before I move on to the next topic. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a stancer, so I'll point out a couple of things. One, they do have standard deviation built into the ratings, too, where you can actually see what that is. I think that's an interesting feature just to see a little. And, of course, again, there's it's pretty opaque. That's about all that you can see. Uh, but that gives you a good idea if it was a love it or hate it title. A low standard deviation on a rating system like that tells you that, you know what, if it's an eight, most people were saying it was an eight or six or seven or nine, you know, somewhere in there. There weren't a lot of ones and twos where people were just completely turned off. So that's interesting. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, you're right about one thing is um, it has value. It doesn't me saying that it's flawed doesn't mean it doesn't have value. It does have value because it does mean in a social media sense that people were engaging with these games clearly at some point, whether recently, not recently, whatever the metric that they're using to modulate these these votes, if any. Um, or apply entropy to it. Um, somebody thought that these were tens or nines or eights or whatever mm-hmm. the, the score is that gets them up on that billboard. And so if someone told me what the number one song in 1985 was, you know, 
it still might actually be a good song, even though it won't be on any <laughs> charts today. If something is on this list, then right. it probably had a reason for being there at some point, one way, one way or the other. So, so I think there's value there and that it does connect to interest levels. If you were getting really deep dive nerdy about it, you wanted to actually apply some sort of statistical analysis. That's where I think it starts to fall apart as most statistical analysis does because people want one answer. What is number one? What is number two? And there is no answer. It's like asking me what my favorite game in my collection is. Depends on what type of rater is rating it. It depends on, you know, do you rate better by more recent ratings or by all ratings lifetime? You know, does the standard deviation factor in? If it's a love it or hate it title, does that rate higher? So all of those little nuances are what I think makes it not a good metric if you're really looking for statistics. If you're most people, you're just looking to see what's hot. I think it's perfectly fine for that kind of thing. And I agree. We're about to we're about to go into uh, just how susceptible we have been to uh, this list, whether we've been looking at it or not. Uh, so, did you want to kick it off with uh, giving me that number? I know you you've been looking it up. I did my homework. How many games have you played that are actually on the top one hundred today? Well, I I did uh, look at that, and as far as the top one hundred, I played. 56 um 56 of the current as of two days ago list did you look it up yourself did you crunch the numbers i did i i looked at uh, at the whole thing i've been looking at a couple interesting things uh on there so uh what what was your um did you look at what games you've owned or what games you've played i looked at what games i have played of the top 100 i'm at 54 right now there we go. Hey, that's that's pretty consistent there. I'm actually a little bit surprised because you endeavor to uh, reach out and play as many games as possible. Uh, before we move on, I want to uh, acknowledge a question here in chat, or at least a little bit of discussion. Uh, Stacy brought up an interesting point about um, an inability to uh, rate a game multiple times, which is true. Um, that fraudulent uh, uh, voting that I was talking about earlier is that they could theoretically look at, say, um, a hundred votes come in at the same day, almost within the same period of time, potentially from the same area that are all tens. That may look suspicious and warrant moderation on the part of uh, the the uh, BGG moderators. That's not to say that they all came from the same account, but they do uh, uh, look suspicious to a degree. And BGG has acknowledged that they will do some moderation in order to counterbalance that. W- to what degree? I don't know. I just uh, like to comment about the forums. I just got to call that out. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of moderation, not a whole lot. <laughs> Maybe uh, they moderate their numbers more than they moderate their forums. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, now, uh, Stacy also mentioned the hotness, which is a whole different ballgame. The BGG hotness is also hugely influential. I mean, this is so impactful. And I imagine that if you're a, a publisher of a game or a designer of a game, it is as important to reach a level of hotness as it is to, um, you know, be a certain rank in the overall rankings and hotness is driven from um, like, I want to say that it's clicks onto a website. It's discussion that's going on there. Like particular uh, things that are actions within BGG. They're not necessarily rankings, but if there is more generated views on a page, that's going to drive up the hotness, which is also a reason why, publishers try to encourage people to go to a page and just follow a game because you can uh, end up um, like following different games on BGG with your account, which is a a great feature. Uh, There's any number of things I can filter into what creates the hotness. And uh, that is a whole different podcast. We could talk about that all day. Uh, it's mysterious, though, for sure. But but before we go on from that, and, and, and that was the nerdy take, let me get the emotional take on it. As, as, as a consumer of board games, how often have you had that reaction to the hotness and clicked on one of those links? Because I'm going to tell you that I get on BGG, and there are definitely times where I'll look over on that little sidebar. Usually it's off on a column to the left side, and you just glance over there and go, oh, 
Well, I don't recognize that title, huh? Right, right. I more times than I can count. Now, is that is that where I get most of my news from? No, but it's definitely had some surprises where I've caught wind of a Kickstarter that maybe I hadn't heard of right away or something like that. Or uh, I'm going to point out, for example, Ankh is up there. Well, that game is up there probably because it's delivering right about now. So it shot back up the hotness as people are back to talking about it. I had actually forgotten that that one wasn't even on my radar since I passed on that Kickstarter. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking about it going, man, did I miss out on that one? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's usually important for like connections and everything. Myself, yeah. I, I'm a reviewer and a lot of the games that I review are games in which I make the connections with the publisher about, hey, can I get a review copy for this? Or are you interested in doing an interview about any of this? Can you connect me with someone on the team? And if there's a game that I wasn't previously aware of on the hotness that has just skyrocketed up all of a sudden, that is a huge flag to this might be a good game for me to at least look into a little bit further to see if I want to make that point of contact with the publisher about the game. And so that is an example, I imagine, that is pretty consistent with other reviewers that is going to generate more and more attention for games that, again, represents how integral BGG is to the entire system of board games. Like, it's bananas that the community and industry is so intimately wrapped into this system that has existed for 21 years and grown in order to accommodate what this this hobby has evolved into. You know, I don't think Aldi, uh, when creating the site or co-founding the site back in 2000, I don't think they ever dreamed of what the hobby would become, uh, let alone what BGG would represent for the hobby itself. It is an interesting part of, you know, the, the world that my kid is growing up in that, that we did not, where user-driven content feeds so much more into business and warps because the consumer is now given a voice even even if that voice isn't really a voice it's just in the form of their ratings and their clicks and their um you know their recent logged plays and i'm just thinking man this is data that people are logging about themselves and i saw a comment out in the, in the chat actually um talking about how you know being part of the community they consider it being part of the community uh to to go out and rate all the games they play and that's a that's a cool way to look at it is that you know that is sort of responsible rating. You're not just rating the tens and the ones. You're going right. out there and saying, look, here's my overall opinion on games as a whole and, and gaming as a community. Well, that having such a dramatic impact on what actually happens in business is, is a crazy side effect of the era we live in. And it's only going get, to get more dramatic as machine learning learns to parse these statistics better than we are, which it already it's, it's already there. It just hasn't gotten into... I, I maybe as much as this industry just yet. It'll trickle well, down though. Let's loop it back to what you sure. were asking me about the 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 amount that we played. What makes this actually useful in some regard and some of the history here? I I, I want to at least baseline uh, go through what since the inception the number one games have been. So. I, I'm not clear if this was like a, a formal ranking system baked into BGG, but uh, it seems like the first game to be at number one was Tigris and Euphrates, which is for many people still to this day will say like, this is the greatest game ever made, or it's at least known as one of, if not the greatest Reinhard Knizia game and hugely monumental and one might say one of the earliest hybrid games bordering this conflict heavy area control thing with these euro minded aesthetics and design philosophies and then puerto rico became the big dog before agricola you know agricola was the one in which i was really paying attention to uh the hobby but the first time i ever encountered bgg puerto rico was the number one game which is really interesting because nowadays puerto rico is a bit of a controversial game uh the fact that it for years upon years was the number one game on board game geek 
represents something of a you know like a, a maturation of our hobby as well nowadays people are a little bit more hesitant to play puerto rico because it has some unsavory thematic elements in it you know like it, it is inherently a game of colonialization and your workers uh you know the little brown cubes within puerto rico uh, can represent or infer something that uh, is a little bit nasty about the game. You are the the triumphant white settlers coming into Puerto Rico and utilizing these brown worker cubes and reaping all the rewards of this land without any moralization of the actions that are happening. I don't really want to get into that, but it is interesting that that used to represent a very common theme within board games that is now really, really controversial um, and kind of divides the old school and new school. Yeah, and it's funny you'd bring that up because Reddit had a pretty active discussion about that just recently that I was kind of observing. It's it's one of those areas that you know you really don't want to get into because that's not the focus here. But it, it's the the thing the thing to take away here is it is important to a lot of people, right. and so it's definitely something that the industry is more aware of now. And I don't think you see a number one title like that. Some somebody trying to make the the next hot great game that they want to see sit at number one for the next couple of years probably is going to consider that and you probably won't see as many games with that theme covering up at that high level anymore. Right, right. Or at least not making comment onto the reality of that theme. Whitewashing right. the theme is not going to fly. And even games like Spirit Island, one of the top rated games at the moment, not number one, but very close up to the top, revels in the fact that it is a, a settler destruction game. It is an anti-colonialism game, and it makes that known on the box. It is like, yo, we want this to be an inversion of what was very commonly used as a board game theme. Uh, that's a whole discussion that we could have. Yeah. I actually would love to to kind of dive into some of the thematic history of board games and like how much of it was just like necessity and ignorance and how much of it is legitimate and like also weird, crazy things like, you know, some of the games published out there with like essays in the back of the rule books that are like in support of colonialism. It's, it's so wild. I think that one falls under a good next time too, because uh, I was thinking that our next topic really needs to be does you know how, why does theme matter or does theme matter? Because there's a lot of interesting places to go with that too, and a mm -hmm. lot of strong opinions about it, whether it matters, whether it's irrelevant, whether a game that's abstract, you know, it's just as good as one that's heavily drenched in theme, and yeah. if the theme being controversial harms the game, so. Totally, totally, and then uh, moving on from there, Agricola unseated Puerto Rico. And this is where I come in as far as being very interested in participating in Board Game Geek. This is the time in which I was doing our board games a lot. And, you know, I, I hadn't started the Cardboard Herald yet, but this is around the time in which you and I were becoming most passionate about board games. We had played them beforehand. Um, we certainly have a long history of gaming and tabletop gaming, but this is when we were starting to get into hobby games. And I began participating to some degree on BGG, and uh, that's when Agricola was top dog. And to this day, this is still a, a beloved game. Uh, it doesn't have the stink of Puerto Rico, um, and it, it definitely has been toppled and iterated on uh, in many regards, uh, even by Uwe Rosenberg, the designer himself, coming out with successive games that people say are improving upon the systems, the foundations laid by Agricola. But to me, Agricola was the beginning of the modern era of this hobby uh, and where we are now and the more frequent struggle over the top space. And that's when we get into Twilight Struggle, took over Agricola, and then lo and behold, a massive shift in our hobby. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 completely turned everything over and became the number one game. And now we are at Gloomhaven, which 
kind of blows me away that Gloomhaven, this monstrously expensive, very heavyweight game compared to what I would think the general board game audience would necessarily be interested in, has had this immense mainstream appeal. They talk about Gloomhaven on things like Kotaku and on Polygon and non-board game specific websites. It has penetrated the mainstream in a way that I never thought possible. And it is now the number one rated game on Board Game Geek. And the first thing someone will see if they click on Browse Games. So that, even that's kind of interesting in, in that uh, I know you probably didn't didn't really set out to analyze the top one game from the past you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years. But if you look at them, it's interesting that we've got Tigers and Euphrates, Puerto Rico, Agricola. And then it starts to get a little, little weird, like Twilight Struggle doesn't one of these things is not like the other right already. right 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 but then then pandemic legacy that that is cooperative it mm-hmm. is legacy those are two categories that weren't featured there just yet uh and then then i don't know where so the bottom two to me are the wildest two on the list blue even and pandemic legacy is is such a wild departure from the other systems of gaming and so i don't think it's just theme i think i think you're seeing the exploration of different mechanics uh and not just mechanics isn't like oh well this is card drafting and this is card you know tableau building i mean actual styles of game um doing things that games had never done before and things like uh you know pandemic legacy telling a story that mm, would surprise yeah, yeah. you in the game through multiple sessions that's something games didn't do gloomhaven i wonder how many you know kotaku talking about it. i wonder how many video gamers are out there playing this game because it's doing something a board game couldn't do before in that it's giving them almost a complete video game RPG experience from taking your character out on an adventure to going back to town and leveling up and buying gear and stuff, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I'll be interested to see. I mean, these games each had somewhere between four to eight years on the list for many of them. Although pandemic legacy was unseated a lot faster than some of the other ones were. Um, right. Well, but, but it'll be interesting to see when's the next one going to unseat Gloomhaven and what what is that going to look like? How wild is that going to be as compared to the last couple? And how many of these have you played? Uh, of these, I have played every single one of Beat them. Beat me out by one. I haven't played Tigers and Pots. Uh, Tigers. Despite being highly recogni- recommended by uh, Sit Down, one of my other, other favorite guys for that kind of thing in the past. Uh, honestly, I, I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, Tigris and Euphrates is an interesting one, and this brings up what potentially is another flaw in the ranking system, is that some games have been re-implemented in different ways. I'm going to share my screen again here so we can take a look at some of the current rankings and see where some of these games fall, uh, because they definitely have changed over time i mean games like twilight struggle which was the number one uh a a few generations ago is now hovering at number 11 but tigris and euphrates is interesting because the game was re-implemented into uh was it the yellow and yangtze i am mispronouncing that uh tremendously i'm certain but grail games had the the uh essentially spiritual successor to Tigris and Euphrates and unavailability impacts some of this because Z-Man Games announced that their uh, continuation of the Kinesia Classic line was ending, which was an extension of Fantasy Flight Games bringing back Tigris and Euphrates after a long time. And so the only way to get that system in retail uh, as far as a currently produced game would be Yellow and Yangtze. And that just had a whole lot of controversy happen with it because Grail Games and uh, and Reinhard Kaditi are in lawsuits with one another because of things. So <laughs> uh, those games are distinctly uh, rated, and uh, we can actually see that uh, in some of the other uh, ratings on Board Game Geek that I've noticed in the past. Things like second editions of games having uh, different rankings than first editions of the games. And, you know, people may be ranking different versions of their games. And how much is that compiled into the overall algorithm? Is the ranking of War of the Ring first edition, which is pretty much the same thing as War of the Ring second edition, filtered in some way into this overall greatness of this game? No. 
No, I mean, unless people are taking the time to go and do one and then the other. Otherwise, they are distinct entries and treated as different games on BGG. Which is honestly, I don't know if I could get behind that because one of the stats I track for myself is just unique games that I've played just to see how much variety have I had in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, I never know where to put the, the second edition. It's like I always I always just kind of fold it in there and, I, and it's the same entry. Unless it's changed the game entirely, Eclipse first edition and second edition are not separate games. The hotness of one should be on the hotness of the other. It should somehow compound the hotness. Yeah, just looking at War of the Ring here, we yeah. have 14,000 votes for War of the Ring 2nd Edition, which is currently at 13, but lo and behold, still the 132nd greatest game of all time is War of the Ring 2004. Which is funny because I feel like that robs some history from the 1st Edition because 2nd Edition exactly. has been around as long, but if you lump them together, that game as a whole title has, has had its place for a lot longer than it would seem to uh, to be at this point. But again, this gets into, you know, like, is there a better system in place? Because it's hard to distinguish the War of the Ring, the first edition and second edition are almost identical games. There are some changes there. Uh, there are some cosmetic changes and little rules adjustments. But the disparity between, say, uh, Twilight Imperium 1 to Twilight Imperium 4 is much greater than, say, War of the Ring 1st Edition to 2nd Edition. Um, and there are other games where the, the newer editions are virtually brand new games or completely uh, reincorporate things that make it a, a completely new identity, you know, consolidating expansion materials and that kind of stuff. So once again, we're, we're kind of poking into the, the inherent flaws with viewing this as a rating system of the greatness of a game. Yeah, so so I know you wanted to, uh, you had kind of an odd choice for what game you were surprised that wasn't in there. Uh, what are your biggest callouts for like, oh my God, why is that a top 100? Or, hey, where's this game? Right, right. Okay, so my um, uh, most surprising game of what was in the top 100, I don't know. Like, this is me being flippant here. Uh, oh, I don't I don't like Nemesis. I, I think, I, I don't think that's a very good game. I had a little bit of fun the first time that I played it. Uh, and like... We won, or I won, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's not an experience like I care to have again. But I'm not here to trash talk games. I'm just kind of surprised that if I look at Nemesis, uh, that somehow it has beaten out some of what I would consider the greatest games of all time. Uh, also, I can't spell uh, as I'm uh, typing here. The best. Uh, okay, okay. I think I think the best thing I can say is when no one's trash talking. It's just like if you were a big fan of the Marvel movies, for example, and you were to rate, you know, the top five and someone were to be like, well, here's my top five. And number one is Thor, two, And you'd be like. Did you run out of other movies to how is that one? In the, I mean, it's not right. It's not, right, right. Yeah. So it's you know, I, it's not to say that it's, you know, the fans of Nemesis should not revolt in the streets at this point. However, I agree that it, out of all the games out there that could be in the top 100 of someone's metric, whatever that metric is. Um, Nemesis seems like an odd choice. I mean, it's a more recent one, but there's, I feel like there's more interesting games that implement a system like that. Where's Descent? Second right. edition Descent is hugely beloved. I see Star Wars Imperial Assault, which I think is, is well placed up there, but I'm shocked that even with the third edition, like the interest in Descent hasn't, I mean, it seems like everything I see on Facebook tell uh, you know on the third edition is a lot of people going yeah hey that's great fantasy flight third edition blah 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 i mean not third edition journeys into whatever but hey can you reprint second edition please because i can't find this expansion so as popular as it seems to be i'm shocked that nemesis which is kind of a you know oddball implementation of that type of game it's weird to see it up there i guess um, right right and I, I think the, the game that was most surprising for me, and it came to mind because we played it just the other day, was Comet. And this is another situation in which Comet and Comet Blood and Sand are distinct listings. And Stacy again, makes a comment here about Viticulture and how Viticulture 
essential edition, which is a, a, a consolidation of some of the best elements of Tuscany. And then Tuscany Essential Edition came out, which, you know, like Viticulture Essential Edition is a very different game than the original Viticulture that came out. And I do think that those should be evaluated distinctly to a degree, but I, I, I don't know if when I say that this is a flaw, I'm talking about this as like, this is an error in the system. I've, I think this is a flaw in us taking, yeah, taking BGG's top 100 to heart as a metric of how good a game is or the importance of a game. And I think like everything else, that's just a, an encouragement to go and use a degree of forethought in how you apply this information, which is how I want to end it. But Comet uh, is the game that I was most surprised with it being not in the top 100. I think of Comet as hugely influential, critically uh, loved. It was a critical darling at the time that it was released. Obviously a beloved game to an audience, so much so that the uh, the re-release, the Blood and Sand, was an immensely popular Kickstarter that was very successful. Uh, and if I were to think of what are some of the games that bridge modern sensibilities and uh, old school, like area control, combat heavy games, throw Twilight Struggle out the door. Comet deserves to be up there. And the fact that Nemesis is number 21 on this uh, ranking and Comet is 110 or something like that, that to me is a crime. Uh, <laughs> and I guess, uh, you know, like, uh, I can see where all of these other games uh, come in there. I can see why people are so passionate about Food Chain Magnate. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Wingspan. I want to play Wingspan a ton. I don't know that I would rank it within uh, the the list where it is in the greatest games of all time. Uh, but at the same time, I can see why people are passionate about it. Nemesis, well, I'm surprised that Comet wasn't at least in the top 100 somewhere. Were there any, you mentioned Descent, were there any surprises actually, about inclusions or omissions to you? Uh, I think Descent was kind of a surprising one just because it does seem like one, you know, with the release of a new not a not a third edition whatever um I, i'm surprised that it isn't more popular um i was surprised maybe to not see some of the other titles out there uh that to me i don't know if it's just my my personal sphere you know and there's some discussion in the in the chat about you know who's the community on bgg and i think that's an interesting question who are the people on bgg they're the people who want to participate in board gaming as a broader community mm. but maybe not the same thing as the the gang that i sit down at the table with you know i'm a fairly insular person when it comes to that sort of thing i observe a lot of what's out there in the community but i haven't participated in the forums extensively um i'm more i'm more active in reddit for example but definitely not where the stats are being made and so i'm surprised to see things like um chaos in the old world seems like especially being an unavailable title maybe that's why it dropped off but i would have rated that pretty highly um but i do see blood rage so i guess i guess you know that that's fair um, all three of the major Matago titles that I really like, uh, Inish, uh, Cyclades, and Command, I'm surprised not one of them made it up there, despite all three being very well-reviewed. Um, and All well-reviewed, and also, like, those are... Multiple are expansions. Touchstones, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't think that... They, that many people in the hobby are ignorant to the existence of them. They're still discussed fairly regularly. They're included in top 10 lists and that kind of stuff. Um, and do you compare that with some older games like, you know, say the Castles of Burgundy or, you know, Seven Wonders or something like that? Orleone, you know, like Orleone is a surprising inclusion here, not because I think it's a bad game. I like the game. I played the game, but it's not a game that... Um, I, I would expect to have been so high. And I think that that can get into a lot of the things that we've uh, discussed 
up to this point of popularity, um, the hotness can play into this, encouragement on the part of publishers, um, reprints of certain games. There are a lot of things that go into why a game might be higher or not, even if we know inherently some games are, are maybe respected more within the hobby. But I guess what I, I want to end this with what what would your advice be if, if someone was like, hey, uh, you know, I I want to know what some of the best games of all time are. And I noticed that there's a, a list on Board Game Geek here. I, I don't know. I typed in board games. I heard about this Gloomhaven thing and I typed in Gloomhaven board game and it brought me to this Board Game Geek thing. Uh, and there's like a list of games. Like, what does that list tell me? And can I use that for anything? I think to me that this is, I would just call it in a word, or two words, <laughs> a jumping off point. It Really, that's what it is. It's a jumping off point. Nothing on here should be taken at face value. Gloomhaven is not the number one game for everyone. And for actually for a lot of people, there are whole swaths of people who should never come near that game. Right. Because it just isn't for them. Um, I mean, I played Kemet just the other day, and I had a friend who, thankfully, our normal D&D group swapped out for Kemet because the one person who wouldn't have enjoyed Kemet wasn't available. And so that was the time to get it played. It doesn't mean they have poor taste or anything. It's just that is absolutely not their game. And so mm -hmm. you can't use someone else's super subjective rating to judge what will or will not be a good game. So totally. that's the beauty of the age we live in. Go to the Cardboard Herald. Check it out. Go to your, your <laughs> review sites or the forums. Listen to what people are saying about it. And really think about, really dig down into when you play a game, after you're done playing it, don't just think like, oh, I had fun or done. I mean, it's great to enjoy it at its face value, but think about what did I enjoy about that game? And then see what people are saying about some of these titles if you're looking for new stuff and, and see if they're saying some of the things that you heard that you felt the same thing in your other games. Like, man, I really like how uh, Twilight Imperium takes like a year off of my life when I play it. Like, <laughs> you know, like I you're making to... some Faustian bargain in order to play Twilight Imperium. I love it. Yeah, you know, but but like if you if you if you remember playing a game and you just think to yourself like, man, I I love this about it, and you're reading about some of these top 100 games, just click through them. You know, terraforming Mars, and you start to read some of those reviews and or read some of those forum posts about it. You can, if you really take a few minutes, be a smart consumer. Um, you know, you can you can parse that information. So I, I just think that the 100 list, it's a good jumping off point, but don't be afraid to occasionally sort by some other metric on there, too, because it's got a few more options. Right. I, I think it is a system in which you can see what are some of the games that people are most passionate about and use that list in order to look at the games a little bit closer, you know, look at the reviews that are associated with it or, you know, look at the, the games and look at their profiles. You know, that's what's so great about Board Game Geek is it's an aggregate of information. And that's exactly what this does. It is not a list of the greatest games of all time. It is a list of what people have ranked games. And there's a lot that you can get into why people have ranked them that way. But if nothing else, looking at this top list, just looking at the top 20, if you look at the, the first 10 or so, it seems like there are some real heavy duty games in there. But the diversity of play styles, the diversity of scopes of game in the top 20 is really amazing. And there, there's tons of great themes in here from scientific themes like you know speculative fiction and terraforming mars uh and the kind of like virus intrigue and pandemic legacy to uh you know gloomhaven is dark fantasy to space operas and twilight imperium you got historical stuff and through the ages great western trail and twilight struggle and then Spirit Island, War of the Ring, the Star Wars, there's such diversity in this. And there's also games that take only half an hour to an hour to play. Castles of Burgundy, Seven Wonders Duel, uh, Concordia, Wingspan, and then Brass is up here. There's a lot of great games. And so it may not be a perfect system, but it has resulted in a very diverse group of games that is worth looking into. And if nothing else, if Board Game Geek is representative of our hobby, 
and we as gamers are more likely to view board game geek as a, a participatory element of our hobby i'm proud that this has been the top 20 at least and the top 100 except for nemesis and not including commit uh, <laughs> that, that uh, we have uh, come up with to represent what some heavy hitters within our hobby are. Yeah. I'll just say that it's no less eclectic than some of the oddball stuff on my shelf. It's, you know, there's games I'm extremely proud of and I'm like, yeah, this, this is my gaming pedigree. And there's games I'm like, yeah, this is my guilty pleasure. It shouldn't be on anyone's top 100 list, but it's still on mine. Uh, and, and I'm just going to say that if, if you ever need a good laugh, I'm loving our chat right now. Uh, I would probably pass on the dentist if it's a tooth extraction over, say, Mage Knight. But, um, you know, if it's just a routine cleaning, I'd probably go ahead and take that over Mage Knight. That's how I fall on it, if anyone's wondering. I think we need to make a goal, just like we have a goal of playing these games that are iconic games that we want to play. Um, I, I think there there should be an endeavor to play more of the top 100, just to see what people are getting the most out of these. You know, why are people most passionate about these? Uh, and I, I think that's something that we as gamers should do in general is not just pay attention to the, the modern hotness, but also look at like, what are some of the highest rated games of all time? Get that tiger and Euphrates to the table and Agricola and even Twilight Imperium 4 or any of these um, uh, broaden our horizons. I see it as a tool of what are the things that are gaps in my knowledge. Clearly people care about some of these games and if I've only played 56 of them, that means 44. I need to get to the table. I mean, you're beating John and I need to play more of those too. Exactly. So so that's what, is that our 2021 commitment theories? We're going to pick five each and and knock them out off the Uh, top 10? That sounds like a perfect goal and we'll have to revisit it. And I think we'll end it there. I really appreciate everyone participating in chat. This was a dense conversation. So uh, there there was a lot of ground to cover and a lot of things that John and I are really passionate about. Uh, So if we didn't get to your question, then uh, I'm sorry, uh, but we'll definitely uh, be back with more discussion in the future. If you have topic ideas, questions, just general questions about board games or about any of the topics that we're talking about, you can always ask them in our discord channel you can tweet me at at cardboard herald and you can always post it as a comment here we're always looking for feedback we're always looking for ways to interact and above all just thank you for hanging out thank you for participating and john thanks for coming on to the show and co-hosting with me man yeah this is great see you next time all right signing off take care everyone have a great week and i guess i'll talk to you next week This is Jack, and he's John for the Cardboard Herald. It's weird signing off of these things. Bye, everyone.